Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Sports Yak Podcast brought to you by Look Trailers. Searching for dedicated people to join their team. They're hiring immediately for skilled positions, including welders, starting at $21 to $25 per hour. Located only 24 minutes from Goshen, nine minutes from White Pigeon, Michigan. Visit looktrailers.com. Look Trailers is an equal opportunity employer. Do you like sports? Because we like sports. Let's talk about sports. It's Sports Yak. Sports Yak. It's Sports Yak. Welcome to episode 306 of the Sports Yak podcast. You mean the Fred Lynn episode? Fred Lynn. Fred Lynn became the first player in Major League history, and I think he's the only player in Major League history to win Rookie of the Year and the MVP in the same year. 1975, he had a breakout season with the Boston Red Sox, leads them to the World Series. They lose in seven games to the Reds. The pride of USC, he played for a variety of teams in his big league career. Nine-time All-Star played with the Red Sox, the Angels, the Orioles, Tigers, and Padres, and he belted 306 home runs. In his big league career, he's Fred Lynn. Family Broadcasting Corporation. In association with the Studio DNA Podcast Network, presents Sports Yak. One host knows sports. And who's right there? The other doesn't know sports, but... Somehow they meet in the middle. It's all the way. It is. It's good. Here's your host, Corey Mann. Get your big butt out of here. And Indiana Sports Broadcast Hall of Famer. This one will be relived. Chuck Freebie. Forever. My bedtime's 8.30, so I was a little bummed that I didn't get to see tip-off of Michigan-UCLA. Had to read the news this morning at early 3.30. In my head, I thought Michigan's got this. They've mm-hmm. got it. Yeah, I went to bed thinking, okay, Gonzaga, Michigan, that's going to be a great matchup on Saturday. And it would have been a great matchup, but it's not happening Saturday because UCLA had some other ideas. What a job Mick Cronin has done with this Bruins team. Corey, they lost their last four games of the season. They are one of the last teams in the NCAA tournament. Michigan State blows the game against them. I mean, really, UCLA had no business getting out of the first four. And now they're in the final four as they beat Michigan 51-49 in a, I have to say it, typical Mick Cronin game. It was physical. It was ugly. They play defense. There's not a whole lot of offense. They drain the clock on possessions. It's not fun to watch, and especially if you're on the other team. Michigan had a one-point lead with about eight minutes left. They had a three that would have won the game at the end, couldn't get it to go. So UCLA will be the team that plays Gonzaga. Now, did you watch Gonzaga-USC? Just a, a brief moment. That's all you needed. In fact, if you watch the first two minutes, the ball game was over right there. Oh, wow. Within 90 seconds, Gonzaga had a 7 nothing lead. USC could not hang on to the basketball. They couldn't hit shots. 
Gonzaga is a well-oiled machine. Mark Few has a team there. And so now the question is, do Houston or UCLA even have a chance in their games against Baylor and Gonzaga? Or is or are we all boiling down to this Baylor-Gonzaga matchup? Basically, the teams that everybody said were the top two teams all year, they were supposed to play, I want to say, back in December, and they couldn't because of COVID. I think Baylor got the COVID. And I. it looks like we are headed there for the national championship game. If that's the national championship game, very attractive national championship game. But the final four on Saturday? Ugh. No. Uh, are, are you interested in watching Baylor-Houston? Are you interested in watching UCLA-Gonzaga? Well, I mean, you and I thought Michigan would win. Here comes the upset. I always enjoy that kind of situation. I I mean, mean, let's see what happens. I mean, I I have no interest in any of these teams. But Baylor-Gonzaga on, when is that, next That would be Monday night. Monday night? That would be the Monday after Easter. Yeah, I'll, I'll watch that. Yeah, I would too. I would watch the national championship game. I'm just not sure I'm interested in the semifinal games all that much. Now, will Chuck watch? Yeah, I'll probably watch. <laughs> I'll, I'll You'll probably have an eye on the screen. Some. But am I, is it appointment TV for me? No. No. Uh, women's final four will be three number one seeds and a number three seed. South Carolina, no problem last night. They beat Texas 62-34. The score in the Stanford-Louisville game, a little deceiving, 78-63, but Stanford had to have a big fourth quarter to make that happen. Uh, I think Louisville might have even led going to the fourth. So as it stands, it'll be Stanford and South Carolina in one game, Connecticut taking on Arizona in the other. Let's face it, the final four is the Gino Oriama Invitational. It's his 13th straight final four. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine Connecticut, and let's face it, I mean, there have been some interlopers in there. Baylor won the title a couple of years ago, Notre Dame three years ago. So it's been a while since Connecticut has won the title, but they've been to 13 straight they're final They're always there. Yeah. yeah. And that's why they're getting the primetime slot on Friday night. So if people say, well, who do you think is going to win the women's title? I, I think all three of those number one seeds are legitimate contenders, but why would anybody pick against UConn? Mm. Because in my mind, Arizona is not going to match up really well with them. I, I think UConn will cruise in, in their semifinal game. The other two, South Carolina and Stanford, will probably have to slug it out. And so UConn you know, only has to worry about the championship game. That's why I'm picking the Huskies in the women's tournament. And if you're wondering, by the way, if you're wondering why are they already talking about this stuff when it's not until Friday or Saturday, well, we're not here for a while after today. Yeah. We're we're taking spring break just like everybody else is. So we won't be here Good Friday. We won't be here any of Easter week. You won't hear from us again until April 12th. That's a Monday. That is. Schedule that. 
Mark it down your calendar. Look Trailers is searching for dedicated people to join their team. They're hiring immediately for skilled positions, including welders, starting at $21 to $25 per hour. If you're looking for work in a great atmosphere that's focused on safety, working smart, and bettering the team every day, then Look Trailers is for you. They're located only 24 minutes from Goshen and just 9 minutes from White Pigeon, Michigan. Their family of brands include Look Trailers, Pace American, Cargo Express, and Everlight Trailers. Fly online at looktrailers.com today. Look Trailers is an equal opportunity employer. Today can be one of those days where we could read about this in the history books uh, years from now. College sports, money. Who is who is Alston in this lawsuit? Former running back at the University of West Virginia. And he has basically sued the NCAA for restraint of trade. Here's what this here's what this case boils down to. This is an antitrust case about colleges through the NCAA colluding and setting a price that student athletes will get. In other words, you get the scholarship, but you don't have other things taken care of. Like, for those of us that don't know what those other things are. Let's say you have fees for a computer lab. Let's say you have some academic costs that come up besides books. Things like that that student-athletes have to pay. Now, student-athletes do get a stipend, so they can use that money to pay. But what Alston is trying to say is, wait a minute, coaches come in, they can get whatever they want. Professors come into colleges. The It's a free market for them. There's not a price cap on them. Okay. Why is it that student-athletes have a price cap on them? And so the NCAA is trying to say, look, if, if we open this up, then this is going to kill amateurism. There's not going to be amateurism. Now, I don't think any of us are naive enough to think that college athletics at the highest levels in football and basketball is truly amateurism. I think all of us understand that there are probably side payments or under-the-table payments made by boosters at many, many schools. And sometimes it gets uncovered and gets teams caught. Many times it doesn't. But in this case, what happens, and it's important to note going into this Supreme Court case, so far all the lower courts have sided with Alston. Mm. So what happens if Mm. Alston wins at the Supreme Court level? Well, it... It could be limited. The Supreme Court could put a limit on that. Or they could just offer an entire ruling that says, no, there's no restraint of trade. Now, we already have this name, image, and likeness legislation that has come through where players can get paid for that. But this would mean that basically when a college is offering a scholarship to somebody, it's open bidding. They don't they would not have to limit it to the athletic scholarship. They could pay these other fees. They could, you know, throw in sweetener, so to say. Name me a top college quarterback for the next year. Name name me one guy. Well, let's let's talk about one from last year. Let's say it was Trevor Lawrence who was highly recruited coming out of high school. So put him on a, a T shirt, put him on a video game or a Coke can. He gets money for that. Right. He does. Yes. Okay. But see, now this would be 
you're in high school, you're trying to choose your college, who's making you the best offer? Okay. Follow-up question, too. Who's paying for this? Is this a booster thing? Is this a... Well, that would be the thing. Who is going to pay for that? And no, I mean, I, I mean, who's paying for the lawsuit? I mean, there, there's lawyers involved. Who, who's paying the bill behind the scenes there? Yeah, I don't know who's paying on Alston's side. I don't know if Alston found an attorney to take this case for him, or if Alston is paying the attorneys. I mean, the NCA is definitely paying its attorneys. Yeah. Now, remember, the NCA gets eight hundred fifty million from the men's basketball tournament, so they got some money to pay attorneys with. I don't know where Alston's getting his money from. Maybe he's got some people that hasn't been divulged. Him. I haven't. I haven't read up enough on that to see. That'd be interesting. However, I will say, if if he gets this, it has major ramifications for college sports. And if you thought, if you think Title IX legislation has kind of done some things to college sports with the equality between men and women or if you thought um last year with name image and likeness had some effect this would i'm not sure how certain schools would compete like let's say a a program like a ball state there's lots of kids who go to ball state for football they're not gonna they're not gonna be able to compete ball state can't compete in recruiting with any of these schools to begin with and just think of now how the money will be flowing freely. So I'm not sure which way the Supreme Court will go on this. What's the positive in this, do you think? Well, the, the positive for the student-athlete is the chance for big-name student-athletes coming out of high school to be well compensated while in college. Okay. That's the positive. The negative is there's only so much money in the funds. Yeah. We're talking about maybe 10 schools that are like, sky's the limit on the price tag. Yeah. If we want this guy bad enough, we'll come up with a way to pay. And is Notre Dame one of those? Mm. Yeah. How bad do you want to win a national championship? Right. What are you willing to pay now? Yeah. Wow. So, we shall see how this unfolds. It's not going to be decided today, but the oral arguments began at 10 a.m. today at the Supreme Court. Okay. Moving to football. The National Football League has decided that it wants to put a 17th game on the table. Why is that? Well, it's more money. It's more money for the owners. I mean, you can sell a regular season game for more than you can sell a preseason game for. So they're taking away one of the preseason games. And they're putting it into the regular season. Okay. The players agreed to this last year. I was just going to ask. Collective like, bargaining. Did they get asked? Yeah, they <laughs> did. I I don't think the players got enough concessions that they probably should have. Okay. In order to make that happen. I know some of the players are still very upset about it. Because, let's face it, if you're a, if you're a starter in a preseason game, even in the even in the third preseason game, you're probably only playing a half, so your risk of injury is reduced. Now, instead of that, you're tacking on another regular season game, another game of 
true competition where your body is going to be put out there at risk for another week when the money's on the line. And that's different than playing in a preseason game. Mm. I realize people get hurt in preseason games, but the point being there's a greater risk of being hurt. There's risk anytime you take the field, of course. But there's greater risk of getting hurt in a regular season game because it's a full competition as opposed to we're just going to play for a half and then other people are going to come in and play. So there's usually three preseason games? Used to be four. Used now there will be three. Okay. So typically there's 20 games for an NFL team, four in the preseason, 16 in the regular season. It's been that way since 1978. Now it'll be three and 17, which, of course, makes it harder for new people to make the team because they have less chances to be seen in competitive situations by the coaching staff. Wow. Okay. So there's ramifications from that, too. The league, and I'm not sure the formula they used to decide this yesterday, but the league said the Bears are going to go to Las Vegas and play the Raiders for their extra game. Tampa Bay will come to Indianapolis and play the Colts, and the Lions will play Denver. So these are interconference matchups that are being used for Week 17. But whenever you ask why, follow the money. Follow the money. How many games are usually after 17 games to win the Super Bowl? Then last year there was a 17 field, but typically it's been a 16 field for the playoffs. So if you're one of the first two teams you play, a, you have a bye week and you would have to win two. If you're not one of those first two teams, you would have to win three just to get to the Super Bowl and then the Super Bowl. Okay. So there might be three extra games for good teams, four extra games for not as good teams. And so, you know, you're talking 24 games uh, and the physical preparation and healing and preparation again that it takes to get through an NFL season. So you can understand where the players are saying, "Mm -hmm, I'm not so sure this is a great idea, but okay. Look Trailers is searching for dedicated people to join their team. They're hiring immediately for skilled positions, including welders, starting at $21 to $25 per hour. If you're looking for work in a great atmosphere that's focused on safety, working smart, and bettering the team every day, then Look Trailers is for you. They're located only 24 minutes from Goshen and just 9 minutes from White Pigeon, Michigan. Their family of brands include Look Trailers, Pace American, Cargo Express, and Everlight Trailers. Fly online at looktrailers.com today. Look Trailers is an equal opportunity employer. I'll never forget the first time uh, a friend of mine told me about, yeah, I'm going to go see Rockney's Grave mm-hmm. on Friday night before a football game. When I first moved to town, I was like, what? That's a thing? Oh, yeah, that's a thing. And as we record this, the anniversary of the death of Newt Rockney and the plane crash. 90 years ago today. And you brought something up earlier this morning that I responded with a, what? Let me hear this again. So, Newt Rockney. There was no bigger name in college football at that time. And it's after the 1930 season. Rockney is getting all kinds of speaking offers across the country. And there is an offer on the table from Universal Pictures for $50,000 for 
Rockney to lend his name as a production consultant for a movie that's going to be called The Spirit of Notre Dame. Now, $50,000 would motivate you and I to get moving to L.A. Remember, at the time, $50,000 is probably the equivalent to a million dollars right now. In 1930? Yeah. Right? Sure. So it's a big money deal. Rockney's agent has presented him with this deal. He's trying to find a way to get to L.A. In the meantime, so put that, put that over here to the side. In the meantime, there is a priest by the name of Father John Reynolds at the University of Notre Dame. And Father John Reynolds happened to be in Chicago in June of 1930 and witnessed the murder of a Chicago Tribune reporter by the name of Jake Lingle. Jake Lingle had been not only working as a reporter for the Tribune, but on the side had been funneling money from the mob to Chicago politicians that he would meet in his work. And Jake Lingle was making about 60 k a year from Al Capone's mob doing this. Well, apparently Jake Lingle got out of sorts with the mob, and Jake Lingle was killed by the mob in a murder that Father John Reynolds witnessed. What the mob wanted Reynolds to do was testify that it was one of these lower henchmen in Capone's mob that did the killing. The guy that actually did the killing was one of Capone's higher and most trusted guys. I think his name was Frankie Foster. And Reynolds was set to testify that it was Frankie Foster and not Leo Brothers who did the killing because Capone doesn't want one of his best guys going away and serving time. He wants this lower underling. So Reynolds is continually getting threats anytime he leaves Morrissey Hall. He's got to look over his shoulder. And he goes and testifies in the trial, kind of gives a vague testimony, but testifies in the wrong way, according to the mob. So the mob is like, we are going to make you and Notre Dame regret this. Now, Two days after his testimony, trial's still going on. Reynolds is back on campus, and he's walking and encounters Newt Rockney, and they get to talking, and Rockney is telling him about this movie deal, and he's trying to get to Los Angeles. And Reynolds says, oh, I was going to try to go to Los Angeles myself after this trial, but it's still going on. Classes are restarting. I got to stick around here. If you want my ticket, you can have it. So Rockney takes the ticket, takes the train from Kansas City or from South Bend to Kansas City and boards the plane. And, of course, we all know that the plane crashes in bizarre Kansas. What a lot of people don't know is that many witnesses at the time testify to hearing the plane explode in midair that there was a bomb or something caused that plane to explode in midair. And it crashes. Of course, word gets out that Rockney was on it. So now the souvenir people come in. They're 
plucking what they can. So by the time the federal officials get to Bizarre, Kansas, which is out in the middle of nowhere. By the way, Bizarre, Kansas. Yeah, (laughs) B-A-Z-A-A-R. So by the time the federal officials get there, a lot of the evidence is gone. Picked over like crows. Yeah. About two or three years later, a Detroit newspaper investigating this says, you know, first of all, the, the coroner's office in Kansas, and remember, air travel's fairly new. I mean, it's only about 10 years old. So a lot of things aren't known about air travel and why planes crash. So the coroner's office in the middle of Kansas, they don't come up with anything um, constructive in terms of how the plane crashed. The Secret Service investigates, and they're starting to find some things. And about 1933, this Detroit newspaper comes out and basically runs a headline that Rockne was killed by the mob. Now, there, there are two things that come up here. Number one, did the mob place the bomb on the plane thinking that Reynolds was going to be on the plane? Or was the mob so ticked off at Notre Dame because of Reynolds' association with the university... We're going to go for your superstar. ...that they eliminated Rockne. Wow. That's, that's the unknown. But almost everybody who looks at this now says, yeah, that wasn't just your standard run... That wasn't pilot error. That wasn't uh, the plane was poorly constructed... There was something planted on that plane. And so Father John Reynolds winds up going to serve in a Trappist monastery in Utah. And I guess in the 1980s, he did an interview with somebody who was who had tracked this story. And he says, oh, yeah. He goes, there's no question the mob planted a bomb on that plane. I've never heard that story. Wow. That, that's right out of Hollywood, too. Like, why hasn't someone made that movie? Well, yeah. I mean, that's... Wow. How many years into coaching was he at Notre Dame when he died? Oh, by 1930, he had been there for 13 years. 13 years. He's still the longest-serving coach in Notre Dame football history. Think about that, okay? New Rockney won 105 games in 13 seasons. Remember, back then, college football seasons were maybe nine games long. That's about it. He won 105 games in 13 seasons, a record that still has not been passed. Brian Kelly will likely pass it this year. He has 100 right now. Odds are he's going to win six games this year. But Kelly's had a lot more games to coach. Seasons now are 12 games, and if you play the bowl game 13, you get credit for those. So Rockney, by far, his winning percentage is untouched by any Notre Dame coach. Holtz, Parsegan, Leahy, none of them lasted more than 11 years because of the pressures of the job. Here's Kelly entering his 12th year, and we all know that probably five years ago, a lot of people after that 4-8 and eight season thought, he's not going to last. Yep, next man up. Yeah, <laughs> and instead he has lasted and, and thrived here in recent years. Maybe not to the point that a lot of Notre Dame fans would like, but uh, it was interesting. I got to do an interview with Brian Kelly, talking with him uh, for the Notre Dame Club of St. Joe Valley for the Rockney Memorial Breakfast last Sunday. And he talked a lot about 
you know, the impact of Newt Rockney and, and the legacy that is left there and how you feel it every day when you're there. And, uh, you know, he gives credit to the players. He says, look, you're not, you're not going to win as many games as we've won without the players that we've had. Uh, but it, I always was intrigued when you look at Leahy when he took the job and when he left, when you look at Era when he took the job and when he left, 11 years seems to age these guys 30 years. Yeah. Brian Kelly's held up pretty well. It's like a presidential run health-wise, you know, gray and broken down. And uh, help me out here, Newt Rockney at the height of his career 13 years in. Oh, my goodness, It was still. He had just built Notre Dame Stadium. You know, at the time, 60, well, 59,000 seats. I mean, basically, uh, Lambeau Field and Notre Dame Stadium are the same design. And who would have thought that 59,000, but Rockney had that vision that the game is growing, that we're going to fill these seats, that it's going to be this popular. And he, you know, he came up in a golden age. You, you think about Babe Ruth was a larger-than-life hero for baseball. Newt Rockney, larger-than-life figure for college football. And we had those figures in the 20s. Then the Great Depression comes along. So how Rockney would have fared through the Great Depression and how the game fared during the Great Depression, it would have been much different. But, man, in the Roaring Twenties, there was nobody bigger than Rockney. Did he get to see a full stadium? No. He dies in 1931. The stadium is constructed in 1930. He never saw a full stadium. Oh, wow. But it was being built to 59,000 seating. Yeah. Wow. That's fascinating. They sh- That many show up that first game? I'm not sure what the capacity or what it was for the first game. It'd be interesting to find out. Yeah. All right. Great story, dude. Thank you. That was. Wow. Why has someone not made a movie about that? Who plays Newt Rockney? Today? Yeah. Ooh. How old would he have been? Oh, he wasn't that old. He, he, let's see. He comes to Notre Dame late, but he plays college football. He's probably in his late 40s. Um, I think of that guy from the Kamish. Ooh, Michael Chiklis. Yes. I can see Rockney in my head, that famous speech in the locker room. So I'm mm-hmm. like, how do you match that with another? You need a good actor, too, though. You need somebody that's... Yeah. Wow. And then, of course, when, as soon as you say Al Capone, oh, Robert De Niro. <laughs> Untouchables, <laughs> you know. Good story. Man, that's one for the... I'm glad we got that recorded. That'll be a fun one to come back on. Good for you. There you go. Major League Baseball opening day tomorrow, Corey. How excited on a level of 1 to 10 for the 2021 season, how excited are you for the prospects of the Chicago Cubs? I am excited for another Cubs season, but as you know, a mutual friend, colleague of ours, got himself a gig over there, so I'm excited about that Yeah, just as much as the game being played at Wrigley, I'm glad we're getting back to fans in the stands. Right. I've got a show I'm supposed to go to in August over there. I've not heard a single word about it. I don't know if it'll happen. Oh, it's going to happen. You think so? I think shows by August will be happening. Now, the question is, what, still, what will the capacity rules be? Because, the let's face it, the Illinois government works a little bit different than the Indiana government does. <laughs> wonder if I'll be sitting next to Mayor Lightfoot at that Green yeah, Day show. One I don't never know. Knows. I don't know. But, but I'm excited. I am excited. 
Um, I put the question out on our Twitter poll. Okay. Who has a better season in terms of wins and losses, the White Sox or the Cubs? Who this wins is more at games? 46 Sports. At 46 Sports. Who wins more games? Oh, someone's going to stab me with a fork for this one. I'm going to say White Sox. I agree with you. I think the White Sox are built to be a playoff contending. And I think, don't get me wrong, I think the Cubs are a playoff contending team now. And I look at the Cubs starting rotation, and I think that could work out. Hendricks, Arietta, Davies, Williams, Owsley. But I look at the White Sox starting rotation, and I think that's a really good rotation. And the White Sox, now, they took a blow with that injury to Jimenez, who had his surgery yesterday on the torn pectoral. He's out five to six months. I mean, that's a big part of their offensive punch in their lineup. So they may not be able to be as explosive as what everybody expected them to be. They're still going to put some runs on the board. I think Jose Abreu is an underrated superstar in Chicago. And if he weren't Cuban, he'd probably get a lot more play. I I think for whatever reason, Latino or Hispanic players find it difficult to reach the level of stardom that somebody... I think of Baez and Rizzo, okay? Now, Rizzo has a lot of qualities that make him the lovable guy, and I'm not saying there's any, there's nothing wrong with Javi Baez. Javi Baez is great in the community too, but I think Rizzo has a higher stature. I think if you list the Cub infield of Rizzo, Bodie, Baez, and Bryant, for whatever reason, more people gravitate towards Rizzo and Bryant than they do to Baez. I think when you look at the White Sox, Jose Abreu is a star. I don't care if he's Hispanic, Japanese, anything. He's a star, folks. He His productivity is off the charts. And I think he deserves more love than he typically gets in Chicago. I would love to see, and I'll say it on this March 31st, I would love to see the diamond in the rough hiding in Iowa. Somebody comes up from below, pitcher, whatever. Somebody all of a sudden elevates to greatness. Well, I I think that diamond in the rough could be Nico Horner, who played a few games here at South Bend last year, got elevated quickly to the big club because of COVID problems, had a terrific start at the big league level. Then people started to get a scouting report on him, and it struggled. He's going to face some AAA pitching here for a while. He'll probably be right over here in South Bend. By the way, are they doing that whole thing again? That that is the alternate site for the time being. Again? Yeah, for the time being until the AAA season starts. Okay. AAA season, like the Class A season, doesn't start till May. So that'll be the alternate site. And there might even be some AAA games played there uh, just to help these guys stay sharp. That said, I, I think Nico Horner at some point elevates to the parent club this year, whether it's because of an injury or whatever. And he could be that guy you're looking for that comes up from Iowa and sparkles because he had a really good spring, but they like Bodie better than they like Horner right now. Okay. Yeah, I'm looking for one of those moments. So, do you think let me let me put you on the spot here. 
Cubs are in a division with the Cardinals, who just picked up Nolan Arenado in the offseason. They probably had the biggest offseason move of any team in the division. The Brewers, the Reds, and the Pirates. Do you think the Chicago Cubs make the National League playoffs this year? Is this Ross's second year? Yes. Are there TVs in the locker room yet? Oh, yeah. Wasn't there a time when... There, you, there was no video available for hitters to go back and look. That's solved this year. We're, we're past that? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Do you think the Chicago White Sox, who are in a division with Minnesota, Cleveland, Detroit, and Kansas City, do you think the Chicago White Sox make the postseason this year? Maybe. No, you have to go yes or no. There's no maybe allowed here. Yes. I'm going to agree with you on both counts. We'll see. <laughs> yes. Come October, so we might be to... trying to edit this episode. <laughs> so fun to do this on the day before opening day. We might be trying to edit this episode come October, but right now, Corey and I are saying there will be postseason baseball on both sides of Chicago. Mm-hmm. There will also be overrated and underrated today. And you, my friend, are bringing a couple of names to the table. I might have one if one of yours uh, doesn't match mine. Okay. Uh, Disney announced a Obi-Wan Kenobi series, and the the cast is stacked. It's going to be fantastic if you're a Star Wars fan. Okay. They start shooting here this next month. We'll probably get it early next year. Ewan McGregor is back as a young Obi-Wan Kenobi. I give you underrated, overrated, Ewan McGregor. Overrated. Overrated. Does nothing. Does not move the needle for me whatsoever. I don't hear that name and say, oh my gosh, I've got to go see that movie. Moulin Rouge. Yeah. Star Wars. Well, I mean, but Star Wars isn't great because of Ewan McGregor. Beauty and the Beast. Certain as the sun, but great tale. Again, did Ewan McGregor make that movie? The Impossible. Yeah. Big Fish. You, you're not, you haven't hit anything for me that's like, oh, well, my gosh, I'm going to change my mind. Black Hawk Down. Again, is it the story? Ewan McGregor happens to be in it. He is the coattail rider here. Nanny McPhee. No, please. I like him, but he is not star quality. No, he's not. He's a blip. Overrated. He's a coattail rider. Overrated. Switching gears to music. Yeah. I give you Herb Alpert. Herb Alpert? Overrated. With, underrated. With or without the Tijuana Brass. That's up to you. Um, I'm not sure what audience you're trying to appeal to here. Uh, oh, Herb. give me a break. <laughs> Give me a break. <laughs> We're going back into the 60s and 70s here with Herb Alpert. At least I know who he is. I mean, look, is anybody going to go out and buy a Herb Alpert record today? Yes, they are. Because if you do not have the Whipped Cream album in your collection, you don't belong collecting vinyl. Well, actually, that's a very good album. It's fantastic. However, the hits... Um. Taste of Honey, Taste Tangerine, of, yeah, Whipped Cream, Ladyfingers. 
So food items were big. This guy's in love with you. Spanish flea, Tijuana taxi. There's your five. You know my formula. You know it. I I honestly would say Herb Alpert for his time, underrated. I mean, 60s and 70s, Herb Alpert was the equivalent of a hit anytime he was on. I'm willing to bet when you're in your grocery store, you don't even know that they're playing him. He's yeah. playing. Yeah. I'm going to go underrated as well. And I will come to you with a birthday boy from yesterday, and I you know what's coming here. And he certainly fulfills your five-hit requirement, your five-album requirement. He does. He is Mr. Eric Clapton. I I would not say overrated. So I'm I'm there's I'm no way he's between I'm teetering between right down the middle, healthy, great, amazing career, or underrated. Like his name needs to be mentioned with the greats, the Jimmy Pages, the Eddie Van Halens, the uh, Eric Clapton, uh, Steve Miller. You know, throw in an Angus Young today birthday. Uh, throw in. Uh, a healthy career. I mean, look at the top five alone on the top five streaming. Wonderful Tonight, mm-hmm. Tears in Heaven, oh. Cocaine, Layla, Change the World. I mean, oh my gosh. Are you kidding me? That what? unplugged record is so good. Plus, I think you made this point yesterday to me. He was involved with behind the scenes with other groups as well. Yeah, Yardbirds and Cream is where he started. Right. They've got some rock and roll real estate that's yeah pretty impressive. But then who was it? You were telling me a story of, oh, the Bee Gees. Yeah, he was kind of second fiddle to them in their management um, empire. The guy who managed the Beatles was like, eh, I'm not interested in these guys from Australia. And he, so he gave it to one of his underlings. Mm-hmm. And the underling is like, these guys are a hit. And he's been their manager since day one. But he also had a young Eric Clapton. And so Eric saw the the meteoric rise of the Gibb brothers. And he was kind of like, what about me? Yeah. Where, where am I at in this whole thing? But then, of course, it did start to happen for him. I'm going to go great career, great body of work right down the middle. He is where he's supposed to be. I will say slightly underrated. I think when you mention you mentioned a lot of great guitarists. And I'm not sure Clapton gets his due yeah. for his guitar playing ability. And then when you look at the length and breadth of the career, and if you're going to throw in the Yardbirds and Cream, he, he never gets talked about for that stuff. Underrated. It's a well-known fact that my favorite guy, when they say, who's your favorite guitarist, that's the first name he says. That, to me, is a big deal. The fact that he agrees with you about Eddie Van Halen. No, 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 no. Eddie Van Halen says that's his favorite oh, guy. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Where, why are you the way you are? Him. Wow. Him and Jeff Beck, but it's his name first. I'm going to have to listen to some Eric Clapton on the way home today. That that unplugged record, I'm telling you. Woo, we played that, we played that in the 90s, big time. Remember oh. that one? Change the Worlds on there, Tears yes. in Heaven, and then just all the, all the hits. Yeah. My Father's Eyes, that's a great song. It is. So good. That's our three. You feel good about that? I feel real good about today's show. We are about to say this and take a huge old spring break. Oh, this is my first vacation in a long time. You deserve it. You deserve it. I deserve it. The world deserves it. Don't ask us what we're doing. We don't want to tell you. We're not going to. (laughs) 
We're not doing it together. Out from one gated community into another. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You're on Twitter, right? I am at 46 Sports. That's right. You got a Sox and a Cubs. Um, Please vote. Back and forth poll you're going with. I'm at My Name is Corey and Sports Yak with two Ks. Hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Until next time, Yak fans. Ooga Fred Lynn. We've had some fun. Yeah, the show is done. Now we gotta run. It's Sports Yak. Sports Yak. Sports Yak is not filmed in front of a live studio audience. We done. Sports Yak Podcast brought to you by Look Trailers. Searching for dedicated people to join their team. They're hiring immediately for skilled positions, including welders, starting at $21 to $25 per hour. Located only 24 minutes from Goshen, 9 minutes from White Pigeon, Michigan. Visit LookTrailers.com. Look Trailers is an equal opportunity employer. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.